I'll say this short and quick. Any religion which carries both belief in an afterlife and a concept of eternal damnation is morally bankrupt. So here's the deal. There are many religions out there. Most of those religions have an idea of an afterlife. People go somewhere when they die, and they spend the rest of eternity doing whatever it is they do in the afterlife. But in some religions, there are bad places that people can end up. Places of eternal damnation. Now, I'm relatively alright with a god imposing punishment after death to a certain extent, but it must stop well short of eternal punishment for the system to have any moral credibility. And in any system that divine punishment exists, there would need to be a system in place whereby one could redeem oneself after death. Eternal damnation is immoral, and any religion that holds a belief in eternal damnation cannot speak from a position of moral authority. But don't worry, I'll explain all this as best that I can. So let's examine this concept for the moment. The thinking, feeling, learning, and remembering parts of a person's soul leave this earth and are sent to the afterlife, and they arrive in not just any punishment, but eternal damnation. These entities, as humans, were capable of emotional growth when alive. If they are remotely the same entities that they were before, it only seems reasonable to assume that they are just as capable of emotional growth in the afterlife. So say a person goes to the bad place. Now their soul suffers eternal damnation. A million trillion lifetimes for all eternity, they will just be in torment for a single life lived incorrectly, or in some religions, even a single misdeed. This is immoral. This is morally bankrupt. This is malevolent. Any religion which doesn't believe that the individual, even after death, is redeemable, is morally bankrupt. Any god which would operate such a system is cruel and would argue evil, malevolent. Any individual arguing for such a system would also argue is morally bankrupt, no matter how pious they appear. Anyone operating in such a belief system has lost any and all moral credibility because of this terrible injustice, this deep wrong, really a, a wrong so deep and large that I struggle to describe it. And I would make this case because of the fact that it is eternal. There's just something about the eternal aspect of it that just makes it so inconceivably wrong that it's really just hard to come to terms with, and there's no real words for me to describe how terrible that would be. Eternity is forever. Furthermore, this position applies to excluding someone perpetually from a positive afterlife, too. If you hold that a person 
eternally cannot enter a positive afterlife, the good place, no matter what they do or who they become when they have all eternity to better themselves after death, you lose all moral credibility as well. Let's work within the Christian framework for a moment since it is something that we're all likely to be familiar with. Christianity generally holds a belief in eternal damnation. In many Christian denominations, the belief goes something like this. You can only be saved through the redeeming blood of Jesus Christ, Son of God, our only Lord and Savior. Oh, excuse me for a moment. That just must have popped out. To be honest, I've heard enough of it for a lifetime. <laughs> I've heard enough of it for an eternity. In these, a person must be saved, must believe in Jesus as the only God in order to access heaven. On the other hand, their bad place is generally a one-way ticket. The assumption is that the bad place is for sinners. Unfortunately, the list of sins in Christianity is long and includes anything from not smashing a pot which held a lizard in it even accidentally, Leviticus 11.33 to looking at a woman and thinking sexy thoughts. Matthew 5.28 Indeed, I chose this verse to highlight because it establishes the idea of thought sin. So even sin in your head counts just the same as doing the deed itself. When paired with Matthew 23.26, the implications are that most sins can be committed internally as well. This punishment isn't just for sinners. It is for religious outsiders and unbelievers. If you aren't a Christian, you go to eternal damnation. This is bad news because very few are without sin in the Christian view, and even worse, when you take into consideration that even Christians will go there. So, even pretty good people, eternal damnation. Even some believers, eternal damnation. Especially unbelievers eternal damnation. And once again, in Christian doctrine, the concept is that it's a one-way ticket. So you better be good and perfect inside and out so you can make it to heaven or else you'll burn forever in a fiery abyss. That is the typical view. Gods, it's, uh, it's no wonder that our ancestors were so easy to convert. The threat of eternal damnation by an omnipotent, omniscient God and the fear that it creates is damn hard to overcome. Islam is of a similar bent, and in that religion there will be similarly an eternal damnation for much the same things in much the same ways as there is in Christianity. Buddhism, depending on the type, offers a reprieve from eternal damnation technically, but in such a length of time as to practically be eternal. The punishments, though, are no less gratuitous than those envisioned in Christianity, and even for minor offenses. Given all this, given the major religions of the world today, you're going to find that the vast majority of people on this planet today believe and accept a belief in eternal damnation. And I find that just to be a little bit wrong. There's something disheartening about that. From a point of personal experience, I have Christians I've been friends with. They fully, truly, 
wholeheartedly believe that I am damned to eternal torment, and yet they look me square in the face and smile, damning me behind their eyes. It's hard to carry on a relationship with someone who believes you to be a good enough person to be a friend with, but not good enough to not roast eternally in pools of fire. Now, not all pagan faiths are exactly removed from the concept of punishment in the afterlife. And unfortunately, heathenry has trouble in this regards. Both in the Prose Edda and the Poetic Edda, they both reference some matter of eternal torment. In both the realm of, I believe it's pronounced Nestrand, is a place of eternal torment, torment for murderers and oath-breakers. Generally, there's a monster there called Nithog that gobbles them up. There is no reprieve mentioned, so it's implied that it is internal damnation. Or perhaps they're just destroyed, gobbled up by the dragon. Further, in the Prose Edda, you have a place called Nithel, where the bad people go, presumably for damnation. But interestingly, you don't have that in the Poetic Edda, where Nithel is there just where the dead people go. This is somewhat of a contradiction. On the level of personal experience in heathenry, I've seen heathens trying to eternally exclude others from an afterlife. I've heard some even referenced in Nestrand. I've heard people reference eternal damnation for unbelievers, even. Well, let's contrast this with a different heathen glimpse at the afterlife. Perhaps our best examples for the underworld in heathenry is from the Gesta Denorum, in specific Hadding's journey to the afterlife. He goes, presumably, to hell because he wants to know where these unseasonably green herbs had come from. On his way, he sees people that do not appear to be damned from some outside entity, but instead appear to be reliving the trauma of their lives all on their own. It would seem that only when one can leave behind that do they arrive at the underworld, a place where death does not exist. Why would you need to hold on to violence in a land without death? Well, there's also these others who are mentioned who wear purple robes, who are not technically in the afterlife with everyone else. I take significance with the color of the robes of these people, that these people couldn't yield the material world of titles and wealth. What purpose would titles and wealth have? What purpose would finery have in the afterlife? Beyond that, there's no place mentioned at all that's bad. These people who don't travel to the afterlife are not being punished by the gods and aren't trapped there by any force but their own unwillingness to move forward. Once in the afterlife, Hadding's guide rips the head off of a cock and throws it over a wall and it starts crowing showing in the most visceral way possible that this is a place where death cannot exist. What can we gather about the afterlife here, then? Well, it's a place where death cannot exist. It's a place where violence does not have a place. It's a place where the riches and titles of this world have no importance, and that it is evergreen and therefore presumably without want. And most importantly, it's a place where the gods did not decide to use eternal torment. There's also a different picture of an afterlife in Gestidenorum, which is far less pleasant, though. There was a certain king 
Guthrum, who left the worship of the gods and instead began to worship, I believe it's pronounced Utgardalokas, but let's say Utgardloki because that's how it's most likely going to be translated. But hey, things were working out good. That is, as far as the king thought. Well, after making vows and after years of worshipping this entity, he wondered where he was going to spend eternity. So he sent Thorkill to go check out the abode of this god. The implication being that King Guthrum would be taken by this entity rather than going to the normal afterlife. Long story short, Thorkill traveled there, and the entity lived in a fetid cave filled with poisonous serpents dripping venom, and this Loki was chained in this venom cave. The Loki himself was some great stinking hulk whose reek was such that it could itself up and kill someone, and indeed did. Upon returning, the king tried to kill Thorkill rather than hear the truth, but on hearing the truth, he himself up and dies from the shame of having worshipped such an entity. Presumably, the king then joins this entity, given the previous implied afterlife. But here, I would not consider this God-enforced damnation. The king was worshipping Anetan freely. And once he did this and persisted in it, it would seem that he was outside the realm of the gods, having left their worship behind and having made vows to Utgard Loki. If this is indeed how it works, you cannot lay blame for the eternal fate of King Guthrum on the gods because he made the choice to worship the Etten. Ultimately, though, we must consider that neither the Eddas nor the Gestadonorum speak from a stance of divine interpretation, neither speak from a position of uninfluenced paganism. Snorri wrote the Prose Edda, and it's fairly likely that he also compiled the Poetic Edda. By the time Snorri was born, Iceland had been Christian for 179 years, and by the time he got around to writing the myths down in the early 1200s, you're looking at 200 years of uninterrupted Christianity. It's a long time for the ideas of eternal damnation to become normalized in the culture. To be honest, that's a long time for Christian ideals to pervade the whole of it. And that doesn't even account for the hundreds of years of Christian contact before Iceland's conversion, through trade and through other ways. Saxo Grammaticus is only a little bit before Snorri, but almost close enough to him to be a contemporary for him. As heathens, we should feel free to take these, examine them, decide what in the end is right. But for us to have any moral credibility, we should leave behind the ideas of eternal damnation. I would put it like this. Heathens who hold a view of eternal damnation also hold no moral credibility at all. Less so, even, than, say, Christians or Muslims or anyone else born into a faith that believes in eternal damnation. My reasoning is simple. Our religion is based on the lore, but our lore is not gospel. It's not even remotely considered to be divinely inspired. Further, we're polytheists, and we can choose our gods. We can choose our gods, and we can choose our religion that corresponds with them. We have choices that a monotheist does not, and I would choose to reject eternal damnation. It is incongruous with paganism 
It is incongruous with any God which is remotely benevolent. And so I would argue this, that eternal damnation is the sign of a malevolent deity. Eternal damnation is not something which benevolent gods would conduct, because eternity is a very long time. And to have an individual judged for all eternity, based off of the mistakes of a single lifetime, just seems wrong. Because we do not claim that our lore is divinely inspired. This is one part of the lore which we should universally reject as false. I do not believe that the gods would damn humans eternally. I reject Nostrand as a belief. I reject any and all forms of eternal damnation and heathenry. I instead choose to align myself more with the picture of the afterlife in the Gestidenorum, that the only barriers to entering the afterlife are self-imposed, and so long as one is able to essentially get over oneself, that there should be no barrier to entry into the afterlife. I believe that the gods are benevolent. Not omnibenevolent, but benevolent enough. And because I believe that the idea of an eternal damnation is malevolent, I do not believe that any benevolent entity would partake in such a thing. I think that this is one of those times where we look at the lore and say that this is not something that belongs in our religion. It's something that is foreign to it. And where that came from, it doesn't particularly matter. What matters is, is that we remove it and we stop using it. My hope is, is that perhaps you'll have thought about these thoughts a little bit more. And maybe you'll give them a little bit more of a ponder. Perhaps you'll be a little bit more reticent to use the ideas of eternal damnation. Perhaps you'll be a little bit more circumspect about the afterlife. But my hope is, is that as a whole, heathenry will drop this. Eternal damnation does not seem like something that our gods would put upon a human. But ultimately, I can only control what I believe. And for me, I choose to reject the ideas entirely. I would like to give credit where credit is due. My intro music is Call of Valhalla by Anton Shiloh, and I added in some of my horn blowing. So if you enjoyed this talk, like, subscribe, and share. Do whatever it is people on YouTube and podcasting do. And I hope that you tune in another time.